Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Today is Friday, November the 5th, and we gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God and the Word made flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ, whose light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never overcome it. And as we do this, we look at Ecclesiastes and put on our Christ goggles. Pastor, Pastor Heine and I were talking before the program today that Ecclesiastes is one of those books maybe you read through, but you don't usually study it. And today we have just gotten off the distinction of wisdom and folly, which is something we all desire. We want to be wise, not foolish. And today Solomon calls us to consider the work of God. And that's a good challenge for all of us considering what God's word has to say, how we live out our lives, and how we look at the possessions and the realities around us when we realize we all have the same fate, as it tells us in chapter 6 and into chapter 7, that we all will go to the same place, and that is death, which is why we need Jesus. And that's where we dig in and look to today, for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thy strong word is graciously underwritten by our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation, Visit lhfmissions.org for more information of their work around the world, lhfmissions.org. To help us be strengthened in God's word, we have with us back Pastor Jacob Heine of Faith Lutheran Church in Topeka, Kansas. Pastor Heine, welcome to That Strong Word. Thank you, Pastor Fitter. It's good to be with you again and uh, join you this morning to study God's word and dig into something new for me as well. Absolutely. How was your, uh, um, I think, Reformation Day pretty much marks the one-year anniversary of your time at Faith Lutheran. So um, how was your Reformation? I'll say it that way. Oh, it was wonderful. We had a great celebration. It was good to hear the the full choir and brass and timpani. We had a wonderful uh, celebration and uh, focus on, uh, we focused on vocation this year. What does it mean to be God's people. One of Luther's big themes is living our vocation every day and how the, the mundane things of life are actually those God-pleasing things. It was a great great time to, to celebrate and be God's people. I'll tell you a little story based on that is I went to a, uh, right next door to us is a Catholic university called St. John's University, and they also have a seminary. And they, before COVID, had all these different uh, theological discussions and studies and everything. And one gal, um, she spoke on vocation and she's talking doing her thing and then she said and by the way i think the patron saint of vocation was martin luther and i was sitting there by a few priests and a few monks i was like heck yeah he was and they were kind of like what's going on you know (laughs) so (laughs) that was a real fun thing so i can totally i see the connection um of martin reformation day and vocation and our life in Christ. So, Pastor, tell us about your family and how, how your family's doing. Hey, everyone's doing well. I think uh, life is going well here in Kansas. We're uh, settling into things. The oldest is enjoying youth group, looking forward to the youth gathering next summer yeah. and uh, spending time in Houston and uh, high school. Our youngest is in elementary and really loving loving life as any uh, younger kid does. And as, as a family, we just, uh, I think things are just, chugging right along and finding our niches and finding our groove here in, in Kansas. It's been a, a fun year and an interesting new year to start ministry, but God has certainly been in it, and that's a joy for all of us. 
Reminder to our listeners, two things to pray for. First one is pastors and church workers who make transitions. So you go from one church, you know the people, you've sat by their bedside before their death or as far as their family, you visit them when they're sick, you call them when they're in need, you shake their hands after church, you give them hugs, all this stuff, and then you leave and go to a new place. Not only is that traumatizing for the churches, but also for the pastor, the teachers, the DCEs, and everybody. So continue to pray for them. The second thing, as Pastor mentioned, is this next summer we have our National Youth Gathering down in Houston, Texas. And so pray for that as, as you know, young people and adult volunteers and everybody come from all across the nation, around the world really, and join together around God's Word this next summer in Houston, which obviously nobody, uh, everybody wants to be in Houston in the middle of July. I mean, this is the greatest weather time in Houston, am I right? It is. A, it's wonderful in Houston in July. I mean, who doesn't like a swamp? That's right. Uh, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Anyways. But, <laughs> so, but the facilities are great and they're air conditioned, so that's wonderful. That's exactly right. Well, Pastor, as we are here to look at the Word of God, um, as we search the Scriptures, can you begin our time in prayer? Absolutely. Uh, gracious God, we do thank you for wisdom. Wisdom made flesh in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who comes and shows us how to live and what it means to live as your child. Uh, we know that we will always fail and uh, we, we can do nothing but sin, but we know that in Christ there's always hope, there's forgiveness, there is grace. And so as we turn our attention to your word and sometimes it challenges us, we're reminded to return uh, and, and to come back always to the saving, loving arms of our Savior who welcomes us home who forgives our sins and makes us your children. Guide our time, our words, and all that we do today. In Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Reminder to listeners, if you have any questions about Ecclesiastes, specifically chapter 7, but also um, any part of Ecclesiastes, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, and we will address it um, in future programs. So as we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 7, we just got off the section that was very poetic, verses 1 through 13, that kind of makes a distinction of wisdom and folly. And then we get to the second half, which has a number of themes. So, how, Pastor, how do you want to start us off on the right foot in Ecclesiastes 7? I think one of the things that we have to remember, especially about wisdom literature, is all these wisdom sayings are God's way of helping guide us and cope with the difficulties of life on earth. Uh, we know that you know, life in the sinful world is difficult. It's not clear cut. It's a little bit hard. And, you know, the wisdom literature isn't there necessarily for saving faith, but it's there for living faith. How do we live out our faith? How do we live as God's people? And so I think today what we're going to find is, is Solomon's helping us find that middle road sometimes so we don't fall off the edges of being, you know, too wise in our own eyes, but also being foolish and making a mess of things. And I think as we go through these kind of about three sections of Ecclesiastes, we're going to find that there's this middle road he's kind of pulling us to, to help us know what wisdom truly is. And this is a good reminder, too, as, you, as you're talking about, I like how you said it, wisdom made flesh, which is clearly Jesus. Proverbs chapter 8 speaks this way, gives us Christ. He is our wisdom in 1 Corinthians, and then he shows us the way, and, and in Ecclesiastes, there's a lot of, like, complete, like, this and that, you know, the wise and the fool, and we, like, wait, I'm not wise, and I don't think I'm that foolish, 
And so he definitely does show us that middle road, which is important. And I think a good teaching tool as well as we look at our text today. Anything else you want to highlight before we dig in? Yeah, I, I think that's a great uh, a great summary. It, it brings us back to kind of our three uses of the law, too, and how you know the, 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 the law acts as a curb, you know, keeps us inbound so we don't fall off and we stay on the road. And I think that's uh, – yeah, I'm, I'm glad you, you brought that up because it triggered that confirmation thought for me. That's right. Yeah. And that, you know, everything comes back to how we try to teach confirmation because now you and I have been out in ministry for about 15 years or over 15 years now. And if your seventh and eighth graders aren't going to get it, there ain't nobody going to get it, you know, including <laughs> myself. <to> including <laughs> myself. And so that is a great way to bring it up. But I, I think I'm ready. You ready to dig, dig in? I'm ready. Let's get going. All right. So reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version of Holy Scripture, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, starting in verse 14. And I'll just stick with the first verse to begin. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. So, like I said, we get... Wisdom, folly, and then he gets to 14, and he speaks about how we are to be. Chapter 6 talks this way about joy. Uh, he talks about adversity, and then he points us back to the Lord. How would you unpack that? For example, to a confirmation student, how would you unpack this? God likes to keep you on your toes. <laughs> I think that's how I would explain it. Yeah. Um, you know, when you look at this, God, the way that God has put the world together, and it's, it's so beautiful. Sometimes we think that God wants us to understand everything. You know, the prosperity gospel, if you just have enough faith, then you'll, you'll know it all and you'll be blessed and all these things. When really that's not the case, right? We know that suffering is part of the world. We know that there's hardship. There are great days. There's wonderful, joy-filled days that we have. And there's also days of struggle. But we'll never know what the next day is going to bring. Is it going to be a joyful one? Is it going to be a struggling one? We don't even know what the next minute is going to bring. And God intentionally does that so that we lean in and trust in him. Because that's really what it's all about, is trusting in God who, who will direct our days and our deeds. So, you know, this whole idea, you know, the, the false statement, you know, God will never give you more than you can handle, mm. you know, not true. God will never give you more than he can handle. Right. He routinely gives us more than we can handle so that we will trust him and stop trying to control or predict or understand everything. And Solomon here is giving us that great reminder. You know, God's made them both, and you're never going to figure out what's really coming next. So trust God. And it, it talks about enjoying, um, enjoying what's in front of you. And, and that's, that was chapter six, was very much into that, is all these gifts are in front of you. You need, enjoy them. Enjoy them, they're right in front of you. And not, not because tomorrow might be worse. I mean, think about that's kind of how we talk in our culture too, is enjoy today because tomorrow could be horrible, you know. Um, but they talk about enjoying today because tomorrow's in the Lord's hands. Um, enjoy today because it's all a gift from the Lord. So I, I like how he pulls us back where we naturally would go, which shows me that humanity has really not changed because if we act that way, like, oh, enjoy today because tomorrow's going to be terrible, um, the pessimistic way, clearly people in those days were as well. And why is it important for us to be reminded and pointed back to God? Because he says that in the day of adversity, consider, and this first word is God. 
Why is that so important? I mean, I know this. I've heard this. We went to seminary to study this. Why do I and you and other people need to be reminded, have that first word, God, being pointed back to him continuously? Because that we always look to ourselves, right? Um, we always think so much of ourselves. If we could just control, if we could just, you know, handle these things, you know, we would be in control. But isn't that the first real sin? You know, when we talk about having false gods, who's the number one false god in the majority of every person's lives? It's ourselves. Um, that was the, the trick, the lie in the garden. You will be like God, right? You will be your own God. You can make your own decisions and decide what's right and wrong. And so, so we always have to be pointed back to, to God and to his ways. Luther's first of the 95 Theses, the life of the, the, the sinners to be one of repentance, the life of the Christians to be one of repentance, returning to God. And I love the, the word here. You kind of picked up on it a little bit. He says, you know, consider the word in the Hebrew there is like observe or look or see, pay attention to. You know, so he's even, it's a little bit even more direct than just consider, but, you know, pay attention, look at, see, observe God um, instead of yourself. And that language is used um, in Hebrews chapter 12, where it says, Consider Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is Hebrews 12, verse 3. Um, and just consider Jesus, you know, and here he's doing the same thing. Consider God and how often do we need to have that preaching into our souls because, like you said, who do I care about the most? Myself. That's, that's why the, the, the book... Uh, uh, the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I, is is an mm. idol that that we we love to worship, that we love to focus our eyes on, fix our eyes on Jesus. No, fix myself on me, myself, and I. And so that's why you have to preach it into people's souls. That's why pastors do this, our, our youth workers, our, our teachers, and as parents, we preach that into our children's souls so they're reminded it's not about us; it's about what Christ has done for us. And that's a lot in one verse. So I, I, it, that one kind of hit me between the eyes as I read that one, because I think that we could have spent an hour on this. But we're not going to do that. But any last thoughts you have on verse 14? Uh, I hear echoes in here of also Paul. You know, I, I know what it is to be, have plenty. I know what it is to have want. And I've learned to be content in all things. Yeah. And I think, you know, that that idea from chapter 6 and from this verse and Paul and Pulling in Hebrews, all that we've kind of talked about here kind of sums it up, you know, to understand that every day and every moment is in God's hands and to, to focus on him, to turn our attention to him above all things is, is the focus and the, the joy that we have and what will guide us through the rest of the section as well. Now, I want to ask this one last thing on this verse just popped in my mind is he says, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. And so my first thought on that, and as I study this, is, is kind of that don't try to figure out God where he doesn't have us to figure him out. The hidden God is something that we try to go down that deep, dark hole. We will end up just going in circles, never getting anywhere, because we think we can find him when he's standing right there in Christ, um, understanding what he is in God's word. But is there anything else you, you think of? I, I was thinking about the hiddenness of God, but I wanted to get your perspective on that as, as you looked at verse 14 at the end. Yeah, I think... There's an interesting thing that happens here. I like, you know, you bring up the hiddenness, the hiddenness I always think about uh, communion, you know, how God hides himself truly in with an under bread and wine, mm. you know, are the body and blood of Christ. And there is that wonderful connection uh, 
and how we as people are always trying to speak and understand and find things. You know, we want to understand what the next day is going to bring. We want to understand what somebody else is thinking. We, you know, if we could get a, a reading into the unknown um, or the future, we would, because, you know, by nature, we're curious, but that also leads to sinful desires. And so, you know, that idea of, you know, man won't find out anything that will be after him is a reminder that God hides things. He hides himself and he hides things. And it's not necessarily for us to, to try to understand or try to figure out everything. It's to dwell in him and, and to not be so consumed with, um, with knowledge, as it were, as gnosis, right? To, to dwell in, in the true knowledge of God instead of all the, the things we don't, we think if we could just understand, we would be better off. In the movie, the 2003 version, um, was it Joseph Fiennes? Is that, is that who Luther was in that movie, 2003? Do you remember the Luther yeah, movie? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Fiennes. Yeah. And there's a great scene that we watched that last week in Confirmation is uh, where he's in his room in the monastery, and he's just try he's like i want to find god and i can't remember the exactly the guy's name but he comes in and he's talking to him his probably his father confessor type and he's just like i want a merciful god i want this and he's yelling at himself and all this and he said and then he took out a cross his father confessor and he put it in his hand and he said cling to christ and his love which i thought was just such a wonderful i mean it's great teaching moment for confirmation and for all of us a great visual of yeah, there's a lot of stuff we don't know. There's a hiddenness that's all there. But what we do know, boy, what a comfort for the souls of, of us and for, for all Christian people, for sure. Any last thoughts before yeah. we move on, Pastor? Yeah, I, I think that sums it up well. We, you know, cling to what we know. Cling to the revealed God uh, in the midst of the things we don't understand and things we'll never get. And uh, the cross of Christ and the empty tomb are the things we get and we understand. And then there we find our forgiveness in life. What more do we need? And that's what he says, be joyful, be joyful. 15 through 18, we continue. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. So I want to start here and get your perspective on Solomon. He begins, as we often will talk about, Ecclesiastes was more than likely written towards the end of his life, and he writes that reflecting on everything, and he says, in my vain life, so clearly he is, you know, this is the, the theme he continues with vanity, I have seen everything. What do you, that, there's a lot packed into that sentence. What, what is, what is he saying with those words? Any thoughts? Yeah, I think from this, we can get that perspective. Someone who has been through, and when you read the Solomon's life and you go to, you know, first Kings and you read through Solomon's life, you know, this is a guy who experienced a lot. He went through a lot. Um, he, he tried to indulge in a lot to, to learn what it is to be, you know, human almost, as it were. And so, you know, this idea, you know, I've seen everything, I've lived this life, and I've realized that most everything I tried or everything I touched was in vain, right? It, it didn't bring me anything. It didn't bring me joy. It didn't bring me hope. It was an experience. 
And the question we have to ask is, you know, just because you experienced it, did you gain wisdom from it? Mm. Um, you, know, you know, I think about people who talk about, you know, dabbling in drugs or um, other misconduct or criminal behavior or something. You know, well, you know, I, I experienced, you know, fill in the blank. And, you know, the real question is, is, well, what did you learn? Did you become wise from it or did you just pull through it? Right. And I think that's what Solomon's trying to get us to understand here is he's been through a lot. And he's, and because of that, he's learned a lot. And what, you know, what he's learning here is to be the next several portions about, you know, finding that middle ground, that middle road, as it were. But, you know, he's trying to help us understand that. But that also pushes us forward to to Hebrews, you know, the writer there who tells us that Christ experienced everything, but without sin. Right. So where, Solomon experiences everything for the gaining of wisdom. The one who is wisdom comes to earth and experiences everything without sin so that you can live and so that you know he's with you no matter what's happening in your life. Whatever joy or struggle, sin or rejoicing you have, Christ has been there. He's been through it. He's experienced it, and he walks with you through it. So he reflects on his life, and what does he see? He speaks about the righteous and the wicked. Um, And what does he see when he looked out in this vain life, everything that he experienced? I think uh, maybe the best way to put it is the rain falls both on the wicked and the righteous alike. Uh, You know, this idea that a righteous man may do everything right as we would consider it, but he's, you know, still going to perish, right? He still dies. Um, And he may die an early death. We don't know. Um, and you know, the wicked man, he might do everything wrong and he seems to live forever. And this is that question that, you know, the book that was written many years ago, you know, why do, why do bad things happen to good people? You know, kind of picks up on the theme of our understanding that, you know, the better question is, is why, why do, uh, why do good things happen to bad people? Because truly, and we'll get to this later in verse 20, we'll see, you know, all have sinned, right? We are all bad people in ourselves. Our sinful, evil nature, you know, we would have to admit, I am sinful and unclean. In thought, word, and deed, I've done everything wrong. I am a bad person, and yet God's grace, which is good and wonderful, still comes on me uh, and gives me something great, even though I don't deserve it. And so that's the better question to ask. And here, you know, Solomon is dealing with that theology of the cross question. You know, what, what does it mean to be got, you know, to live in this world where we don't always understand everything, you know, and good things, you know, happen to bad people, bad things happen to good people. Well, we're all, you know, we're all in the same life together and we have to learn how to work through this life together in wisdom and in grace. And that's one of the realities as you look at this is, he shows that dichotomy, the, 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 the rain falls on both. And, and the, for some reason, there's good things that happen to what we consider bad people, and there's bad things that happen to good people. And then he, then he verse 17, he makes a transition. Because that first part, we see that, and yeah, we grieve. I mean, I grieve because of that reality. It's like, well, that's not fair is kind of how we will talk or a child would say. Of course, we talk that same way when we get older as well. And he speaks here in verse 17, do not be overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? 
And here I'm finding this great wisdom in that, but also it just feels different than almost anything else in Scripture, that he's kind of saying, well, don't be too much of that. Don't be too much of that. I mean, you want you want to live longer. I mean, it just seems very practical, kind of like a parent talking to their child before they go driving out to a gathering with their friends. Any thoughts on verse 17? Yeah, it's kind of finding that that middle road as we're talking about, because, you know, sometimes when we think we're wise, you know, we become, you know, as he says in over in verse 16, being overly righteous, right? You think you're, you know, more than anybody else. You think you've got all the answers. You have all everything figured out. You don't need anybody else's help. Um, and so who are you trusting in? Well, you're trusting in yourself. You think you've got it all together. You don't need anybody else. Your God is yourself. And that can lead to an early demise, as we know. And on the other hand, uh, the fool, right, also looks at himself. He looks at himself because he's just living however he wants. He doesn't care. He's he's flaunting God's word, and he, he doesn't care about anything, and he can do whatever he wants whenever he wants it. And he, again, is his own God, which also will bring us to our own demise. You know, so here he's given us that uh that middle road. Like if you go to the extremes, you're going to fall off the edge. You're going to hit the curb and, and run over the, the edge here. You know, understand that, you know, so wisdom comes from God, you know, you, it can go too far and don't be foolish and, and go too far. Stay, stay in God's lane as it were. And that's, and, and that's good. There, there's that practical reality. It's much like if they tell you to go 35 in a 35 mile per hour zone, it's probably good to go 35. Like they're not doing that to be mean, you know, kind of dynamic. And if you do that, guess what? You're going to be more safe in this life. And so it's, it's a, uh, I, I find it to be very practical. Um, Ecclesiastes is very practical throughout the time. Um, it's different than Proverbs, like you said, but it definitely is very practical for us to think about is that middle road in a good way. You know how many times we'll say, well, I'm not that, I'm not this, but I'm kind of more like this. Like, well, you're just not really picking a side. Here he's making it very clear, like you said so beautifully, is that go the way of God as opposed to what you see in the world. Um, and, and we finish out in verse 18. It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. So how does he end it here in these ver- in this verse? Yeah, he's kind of giving that both-and scenario, isn't he, uh, of you know holding on to what is good and driving us back to the main theme of the book, right? Fear God so that you can live sort of idea. You know, what does it mean that we should live in uh, that righteous understanding of who God is, respecting him, honoring him, living uh, his ways? Because we know that his ways are always the best way. When we live his ways, you know, life is less uh, painful for us. There's still going to be suffering. There's still going to be struggle sometimes because we live for him but we know what the reward is in the end. And so we hold on to that above uh, everything else. Um, you know, love the Lord and keep his commandments. That's, that's the main point of this. So, you know, we, we work on that and we hold on to that uh, because that's all we can do sometimes. I want to touch more on that on the other side of our break. We are studying Ecclesiastes chapter seven with pastor Jacob Heine, and we will be right back. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. 
So chances are, there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. Welcome back. We are studying Ecclesiastes chapter 7 with Pastor Jacob Heine of Faith Lutheran Church in Topeka, Kansas. Now, Pastor, I'm trying to remember, I did my vicarage in Topeka, uh, North Topeka at Calvary Lutheran Church. Loved Topeka and the process and, and, and the churches. And um, Are you guys on Gage or are you in Wanamaker? What's the street you're on? We're on Gage, 17th you're, and Gage. Right that's right. Oh, my goodness, yes. And those were the days where, uh, oh, shoot, there's a bunch of restaurants just south of you, if I'm correct. Am I right? Isn't there a lot, isn't there a lot of restaurants right nearby? What was the name of that yeah, one? Schlotzky's Deli? Schlotzky's Deli still yeah, around? Yeah, there's a Schlotzky's down there. There's Spangles right down Spangles, the road. Yeah. yeah. Uh, still oh. down there on 21st and Gage. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Spangles. That's like an old, uh, um, old diner from the 50s that we would envision. Am I right? I, yeah, I think that's a great way to describe it. I think they, when I drove by today, they were advertising a caramel apple pie milkshake that I may have to stop and pick up and see I what think, it's like. I think it'd be good for the kids in confirmation, you know, that you go there before <laughs> or, you know, you'll home, you just had that. You're just going to be a happier guy. I think this is, I think I, this is a calling from the Lord. Yep. I think it's a calling. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Well, Pastor, back on the farm, as we say, uh, we've gotten through 14 through verse 18. And I just want to make sure we've, we've touched on everything. Like you said, all we have is God to trust in. And so he just calls us back to God by saying, consider God, the one who has made one day and the other, and it's all in his hands. Anything else you have for those first uh, number of verses? I think when I read this, it brings me back to something that I've had a passion for, at least a heart for, for a long time. And, um, you know, it's people who live in this world and everything seems to be going well for them. Um, you know, they've got their 401k, they've got their house, they've got their job, they've got all these things lined up and they think they've got it made and they don't think they need anybody but themselves. And what they realize is they, what they're missing is God. They're missing the, the salvation that comes from Jesus Christ and him alone. And so often, you know, they jump from one thing to the next thing, trying to fill that, that void. Cause I think, you know, if they could just have more in the bank, more in their 401k, more in their retirement, their kids have the best schools, you know, and they, they're missing that one major thing. And I think when you read this section, you kind of see um, Solomon at that, right? You know, you, these people who seem to have it all, you know, don't realize that what they really need is, is God in their life. They, they need the salvation that comes from God alone. And, you know, him pulling us back to that constantly. And, you know, we see that more and more in this world as people become more and more comfortable and set that they're, they're missing out on that one thing. And that kind of comes back to Ecclesiastes 6 again. I keep referencing it. But there was this, you know, the appetite is never satisfied when we are trying to find our hope in the light of nature instead of the light of Christ, was how Pastor Boyce Quare talked about this on Wednesday. And I think that is a very helpful distinction for exactly what you said, that he is constantly pointing us to the uh, nature of light or the, to the light of God 
as opposed to the light of nature trying to figure out how this all fits together. So I'm ready to move forward. You ready, Pastor? Verse 19? Yes. Let's tackle the second half here. All right. 19 through 22 will continue. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times on you yourself have cursed others. Pastor, I kind of found this to be more like Proverbs, where a short, pithy statements, which, uh, how do you want to break, really it's three different pithy statements as far as how I interpret it. What are your thoughts and how do you want to begin? Yeah, I think that's right. Um, You've got three Proverbs statements here that, you know, wisdom statements. I think when you understand the middle one, the other two, it's almost, uh, you know, a chiastic form here. You know, you understand that middle piece and it gives light to the ones on either side. So um, verse 20 is almost one of the, you know, the status doctrini, our seats of doctrine of the church. Mm. Um, You know, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, as Paul would say it. Uh, Here Solomon says that there's not one righteous man on the earth who does good and never sins. You know, that is a, a foundational statement for Christianity and for Christians. And understanding what that means helps us understand, uh, I would say, 19 and 21. 19, this idea that, you know, 10 rulers, if, they are, if they're not wise, it doesn't matter, right? You, right. You, wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than 10 rulers. You know, the, the government, our officials, those you know, people who are supposed to be in charge may not always have it together no matter how many there are. Um, and, you know, your heart on the other side of it, you know, your yourself is not always going to be pure either and doesn't always do what's right. Um, you know, your tongue will lie to you. Your, your tongue, you know, from the mouth comes uh, utterances that shouldn't ever come. And so, you know, your tongue betrays your heart. And so when we understand that center section, it helps us give light to the other two. And so to begin in verse 20, it, there, there's, there's a way we can use this in two ways. One is that we can, um, well, we can abuse. It can be abused in this way. I'll start there. Is it can be abused by saying, well, well, that, you know, I've sinned, but you know what? Everyone's a sinner to try to kind of stop the conversation from actually addressing your sin. Or we can just kind of make it sound like there are no rules. Everybody sins. It's no big deal. But here, there's an important reason why, like you said, that's a central point of why is it important, the central point, why is it important that everybody falls short of the glory of God? Like, well, how would you say that to somebody? It's not for the sake of trying to say, well, you can't judge my sin because, you know, everyone's a sinner, no big deal. But there's a, there's a bigger fish to fry. There's a bigger reason why this is an important doctrinal understanding of scripture in verse 20 your thoughts yeah i would know when i talk about this i like to you know direct people that too often uh we use sin as an excuse right uh-huh. well i'm just a sinner you're just a sinner we're all just sinners so you know eat drink be merry for tomorrow we die it doesn't matter yeah. and scripture obviously never uses that way sin is the reason that we are that we're broken, right? Sin is the reason that we end up doing the dumb things we shouldn't do. Um, you know, as Paul would say, you know, the good that I would do, I do not do, but that which I would not do, I do. You know, here it's that same idea. Are we using sin as the excuse, 
well, I'm just a sinner. You're just a sinner. You can't judge me. Your sin's no different than my sin. Are we understanding sin as the reason for our death and our brokenness and for the reason that sometimes we do the things we shouldn't do? Um, even though our life in Christ, our new baptismal life in Christ is supposed to be one of drowning that old self and rising every day with Christ. And so here, what we want to direct, I would say what we want to direct people to do is the understanding that sin is the reason for the brokenness in the world. It's the reason for the mess we're in. Um, and to understand that that's what Christ comes for. And then our new life in Christ is, you know, why we, why we would have wisdom in any sense because of Christ who guides us. And so as you look at these, verse 21 did strike me, is do not take to heart all the things that people say. And at first, you find it to be a quip that you'll hear at school or maybe from as a parent, we'll throw this at, at children to say, hey, you know, don't worry about what people have to say. You just be your own person. You know, we can do more of a biblical theme with it. But that's a very, it's a short quip that we will use. Um, but I, there's another bigger meaning in this. How would you break down verses 21 and 22? You know, I, here I hear echoes or maybe uh, reverberations, as it were, of James. You know, with, mm -hmm. the, with the tongue we curse and with the, you know, the tongue we utter falsehoods. You know, and I, I hear this and I also hear, you know, Jesus talking about what comes, what makes a person clean what comes out of the heart, you know, what comes, it's not what goes into a person, but what comes out of them that makes them that. And it's the reminder to us that a lot of times what we do with scripture, and especially I think with wisdom literature, as we read it, is we want to point it at other people, right? See what they did, see what they did, see what they did, see the, you know, the nasty things they say. And oftentimes we don't want to turn that finger on ourselves. And I, I believe what, what, uh, Solomon here is trying to do is to guide us back to looking at ourselves as well. Remember that you're no different, right? You, you're a sinner, right? And there's no righteous man. Um, look at yourself, you know? So when you realize that somebody else is cursing you, you know, don't forget that you, you have uttered curses too. When you're gossiping about somebody, you hear somebody gossiping about you, remember that you've done the same. Uh, and it brings about an attitude of forgiveness, the attitude of grace, because that's what we want people to do for us. We want them to, to forgive us when we have failed. And so um, it helps us to view our neighbor, as it were, in a better light, understanding that not excusing the behavior, but being able to live with them, forgive them, work in this world with those who, you know, as it says here, you know, don't, you know, don't pay attention to these things or, or don't take them to heart. Um, because you, you'll hold it against them, right? You'll, you'll hear your servant cursing you, and then it'll be more difficult for you in that relationship. And it gets back to that understanding of justifying yourself as opposed to being justified by the Lord. And, uh, and you know, because you look at them and go, how dare they do that? And then you forget about yourself. And then when it does get pointed at you, you start justifying like well yeah but you know i had more i had better intentions i mean how often have we done that where we look at somebody else and how horrible is that and then someone says didn't you do that yeah but mine's it's way different it's a way different scenario i mean he just levels the playing field right there where you can't even you can't wiggle out of this whatsoever you are a deep and dark sinner and what we need to do is trust god like you said right before our break 
I want to I want to use one example here, Pastor. I want to hear your thoughts. If you have any pastoral um, connections you want to make as well. When I was on Vicarage in Kansas, there was a juvenile facility in North Topeka that we would go to, and uh, part of a program. I think I can't remember Kairos. I think it was in Kairos's torch, and I did that part of my Vicarage program. And, and I remember we were sitting with all the volunteers and the leaders before we met with the young men, before uh, the, the weekend and the mentoring and all this. And we were asked, someone asked us, hey, you know, how do you feel going into this? And a gal at my table said, the humbling thing for me, the more I do this, is to realize if I were put in similar situations or if I would have gone down the wrong road just a little bit here or there in my life, my fate would have been the same. So I have to go into this realizing that I'm really no different. It's just that they made choices that they had repercussions for, and my choices somehow were kept kind of under the rug. And that's why we're together as one in our brokenness. And then she said, also, obviously, one in Christ. And I was sitting there like, boy, she should write my sermon. I mean, that, that was phenomenal. <laughs> you know, I, was, I don't know how to repeat that one. Um, but any, that's why I found these verses, these pithy statements, so short, but yet so powerful. Any thoughts that you have from your pastoral experience or any, any other thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm, you know, similar to you, though, I I can't have that, wouldn't say that experience, but sitting in, you know, a counseling session or having a a member come in and say, you know, pastor, you know, I'm racked with guilt over something. And, uh, you can see in their eyes and their demeanor sometimes that fear of telling you they're they're afraid of being judged, right? They're afraid of you saying, you know, you could never be forgiven this or that, you know, you wouldn't understand what they're going through. And there's been so many times where someone sat there and they've poured out their confession, their heart, their, their struggles. And not only do I get to speak those wonderful words of personal um, absolution, which, you know, if you've never had that experience of private confession and absolution, you know, call your pastor up and do it. Is a wonderfully releasing and uh, beautiful moment of, of comfort and joy that happens. But then to talk with them and say, you know, if you knew all the things that I have tried to keep secret in my life over my years, you know, you'd probably be shocked because most people think that you know the pastor has it all together, and you know we're broken, we're sinners just like you. It's no different. We we know that pain. We know, we know what it is, and if somebody were to know. You know, my, my deep, dark, you know, those things in the past that I'm deeply ashamed of, you know, what would they think of me? And I hope that they would look at me with the same grace that God does. And the reminder, as you said, that we're all broken uh, and we're all in need of forgiveness. And that's what we get in Christ. That's what we get in the cross and the empty tomb is the, the forgiveness and the life that we don't deserve. The, the wonderful, beautiful uh, gospel message that it is. And uh, you're right, these, you know, taken in the right way, I think these can really point us back to that joy that we have and knowing that you know, we are, we are forgiven. And, you know, there, there is hope even in the midst of those, those uh, hard moments, because we're all the same in that respect. And it speaks so clearly about that in the beginning, you know, to be joyful in the day of prosperity and the day of adversity, consider God. And because in there, both days, we have joy and we have hope, and obviously grounded in faith in Christ. So I'm ready to move on. You ready, Pastor? Absolutely. This is a fun next section. (laughs) It is, yeah. Verses 23 to 24. uh, Excuse me. Yeah, 23 and 24. 
All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been far off and deep, very deep, who can find it out? So here, this was this was this is fascinating. Where he's kind of like, okay, now I'm I'm going to be wise, but then I found out I wasn't. I mean, how many times has that happened to us? And then he 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 not only says it was deep, but it was very deep. I mean, who can even find this? I, I would I found this to be kind of be like him sitting back and just writing a few notes on the side that ended up in scripture. That's what it feels like. He's kind of had a little moment, and then he came back in. But he's definitely showing and affirming what he said prior to this. What is he saying here? Yeah, I, it's, it almost seems that way, right? Like he's kind of reminiscing, you know, kind of thinking back on everything he's written and going, you know, I really thought I had this all together. Um, and I realized that it's way too deep to, to figure it all out. But it also, it, it's kind of a nice bridge moment too. He's looking backward, but the next section also, he's looking forward and thinking, you know, I've been trying to figure out something else here. And, um, and I'm just... I'm still trying to wrestle with it. He's almost preempting us from saying, from him coming down too hard and saying, I've got this all figured out. He's leaving it open to say, you know, I'm still wrestling through. I'm still thinking through some of these things. I'm still trying to figure some of this out because it's, you know, who can, who can really know wisdom, who can really know all the, the wise things and the right things. Um, and so both looking backward, but looking forward as well to the next section that's coming up. And I would say, I almost feel like this next section, and this is for you, our listeners, as we hear this, it's almost like a casuistry moment. Casuistry is when, uh, I'm assuming professionals, but I don't know us as pastors, that you are gathered and you just say, you know what, I have this kind of situation upcoming. Do you have thoughts on how to address this, you know, with the law of gospel, with the word of God and care and patience and so forth? I find like 23 and 24, that moment, he's like, you know what, I really don't know what I'm doing here. And then gets to the next part where he's had to battle something um, for himself and for others. And it's a casuistry moment. So this is like a, 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 we call it a circuit meeting in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Center where pastors get together and and we worship and then the word and sometimes a casuistry moment comes. And that's kind of how I I think is a good way for us to begin looking at these verses. So I want to look at verses 25 through the end of chapter 7. I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things, and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these things I have not found. See this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. So I, I do see this as he's trying to find a way forward, but he has taken a number of steps back. How would you, what are your thoughts on these, on these verses? Yeah, it seems to me that when we read this, he's really trying to wrestle with, um, you know, this idea of how do I how do I deal with women? I think in some ways he's really struggled with. And when we look at Solomon's life, you know, we go back to the in vain I have seen everything. You know, in verse fifteen, we know Solomon went down a path. Uh, 
to try and in some ways figure out women, 700 wives and 300 concubines, which, right. you know, any man in the right mind would never do. Um, you know, how did, how do you find this? How do you understand women? How do you understand other things? Um, and he seems to be struggling through that. And you can almost see him trying to piece this together in a way that, um, you know, he doesn't want to offend, but he's also saying, I don't get it. I've been looking and he doesn't blanket statement it, right? That, you know, all, you know, all women are bad or all women will lead you astray. But he says, you know, right. I found that, you know, when, when you try and indulge in all this stuff and you're trying to, it can lead you down the, the wrong path. And, you know, verse 29, he sums it up and brings it back together, not focusing on one or the other, but mankind, right? God made mankind upright, but they've thought after their own schemes. And so men and women are pretty much the same is almost the conclusion he comes to at the end that he, he ruminates on. Yeah, this is so much different. It's definitely a lament. It's part of the Ecclesiastes that's a lament where he, for example, 26, and I find something more bitter than death. And he's not saying women. Um, he's saying the woman whose heart is snares and nets. So obviously he had some very personal experience where he was very, very hurt. We don't know the other side. We don't know her perspective on this. But we do know that there was sin, that there was brokenness, and that you almost could feel the emotions as he as he works with this and tries to work through this. And as I said, casuistry, where he's probably actually probably doing more of like a counseling session or a pastoral care session where he's just going through the list of the brokenness and how he feels it and trying to work through his own mind how this looks. And then at the, at the end, it kind of comes back to that reality that he said before, you know, before you start going judging what other people have said, remember the ways that you have hurt others as well. So trying to bring all that together, any, any more, anything you want to add to those thoughts? Yeah. You know, it's uh, the idea of being unequally yoked that, that talks on scripture as well. I think we can see some echoes of in here as well as Solomon. You know, he started off, obviously, song of songs. You know, he found the Shulamite, you know, this beautiful woman who, who makes his heart sing, and he writes this beautiful picture for. And then as life went on, and he gathered more wives and more wives, and he took them from other places who, you know, as we read First Kings, led him astray to worship false gods and, and to allow the worshiping of false gods in his, his house, right? And, you know, I, I think the casualty thing is... Here is really good. You know what happens when you realize, not necessarily that this woman, whoever this woman may be that he's reflecting on here, has hurt him, but he also has to reflect on himself. What did I allow? What did I do? You know, how did I bring this about? Um, you know, verse you know twenty-seven. There, behold, this is what I found. You know, while adding one thing to another, I find the schemes of things. Right? I my soul has sought, but it's never found. You know, he has to turn it back on, on himself and realize, you know, it, it's not necessarily just her fault. It's my fault. I, I didn't behave the way I should have. I didn't do the things that I should have done. And that self-reflection that comes in, how do, how do I deal with that now? How do I, how do I move forward in the fear of God and, and come back to God and return to God and dwell in God? even in the midst of this pain or this choice of my life that brought about pain. I think this is good for us um, 
to think about the church because in the church, there's going to be a lot of times where there's bitterness and there's pain for, for any various reasons. Um, and I'm not going to go through the list because you are listeners and, and Pastor Heine and I will know situations where there's just been pain, where there's been bitterness, where there's been sin. And, and the hard part is, one, not getting bitter uh, to the point where you don't want to be part of the church anymore, but also a person is hurt. And so how do you move forward in the healing of our Lord Jesus? And so, Pastor, as somebody like Solomon is going through this bitterness and trying to work through all this while realizing their own brokenness, while realizing the brokenness of the world um, in their own lives, there's probably some despair. How would you encourage them pastorally by the word of God to move forward trusting in the Lord? Any thoughts? It's the reminder that God's forgiveness is for you. And in this world, a lot of times, you know, we, we see that, we, we know that, we hear that, but applying it to ourselves to, to say, you know, I am forgiven, or to hear those words I said earlier, if you've never had the moment of uh, private confession absolution, do it. To hear those words specifically spoken to you and, and to live in that forgiveness. And to come back to it, come back to your baptismal identity, that you are a forgiven child of God. And, you know, there's nothing that can separate you from that, that Christ's love is there regardless. And so in this world, we, you know, need to forgive others, which can be difficult. But we know that, you know, not holding someone's sin is against them is exactly what we need to do. It's what Christ does for us. We also have to look and say, I don't hold them my sin against myself either to, to accept and live in the forgiveness of Christ for you. Uh, and that can be, that can be difficult. And that's mm-hmm. why having people around you and you, you mentioned the casualty part of this, that's part of the conversation. That's why you have to have your trusted friends, your pastor, others around you who can speak into your situation and speak those words of forgiveness to you when you have a hard time speaking them to yourself. And that's a beautiful way of, of saying it because we can talk about you got to be confident, which means I have to find something within myself to pull myself up in confidence. But the beauty of Ecclesiastes and, and the epistles, obviously all of Scripture, talks about our, our strength is in the Lord and the power of his might, that our strength and confidence is in Jesus and our identity is in him. Therefore, he brings these other people into our lives to keep preaching that message into us as opposed to us trying to find it from within ourselves which is that grace and forgiveness and salvation that we receive. Pastor, we have about a minute left. How would you summarize this, this wonderful part of Scripture that, you know, like you said, I don't think I've really studied it much, so it really has been fun to dig in. How would you summarize this for us today? I would say that uh, to summarize is to look at this and say, where is God calling us to, to live in his grace, to live in God now, not thinking too much of ourselves, not living as if he doesn't matter, but living in Christ in the moment you're in. It's, you know, if we want to talk about where I started this morning with the idea of vocation, God has placed you in a spot. Um, he has given you a, a, a role in many and various ways in your house, your home, your school, your church, your business, wherever it is. And, and to live in that, knowing God's grace, knowing, you know, though we will fail. Christ has succeeded, and we turn to him and trust to him even in those moments. 
Pastor Jacob Heine of Faith Lutheran Church in Topeka, Kansas, given us God's strong word of wisdom from Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Pastor Heine, thank you again for the gifts. Thank you. Saints of our Lord, as Pastor says so well, consider God and live in his grace. We'll have these Solomon moments where we'll look back in our lives and we'll wonder, what is going on? What was that for? But he tells us again, in the day of prosperity, be joyful, and in the day of adversity, consider that God has given us given it all to us because today is a day of salvation. So believe and trust and also lean on his grace. I'm your host, Brady Fender, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.